Welcome to the Biblical Hermeneutics Podcast, where we explore biblical hermeneutics so we can discover how to live biblically for God's glory. Welcome to episode 22 of the Biblical Hermeneutics Podcast. My name is John Oglesby, and I'm your host. And in today's episode, we're going to be exploring how to identify structural keys within the passage that you're studying. The past few episodes, we've began the process of applying biblical hermeneutics to establish an exegetical methodology or a method of interpreting the scripture where one discovers the meaning of the text. And so far, we've discovered a, a kind of a, a prerequisite to the method, and that is uh, three recommended readings of the book in which you're studying. And then we went over verifying text in translation, which is step number one of the exegetical process. Step number two being identifying historical and cultural background. That was last week. And this week, we're looking at step number three, where we're looking to identify structural keys. And I'll say on the onset, if you did the three recommended readings uh, in, in trying to accomplish the things that I stated we should try to be accomplishing in those readings, this step is actually going to be fairly easy. Uh, and why is that? Well, you've already done a lot of the work in the recommended readings. But before we get into that, why do we identify structural keys? Well, Structural keys, they're going to identify the flow of argument and thought of the author. What is the author trying to communicate, and what's their flow of thought? Right? You understand someone's flow of thought. You can understand why they're saying what they're saying, and it helps you identify context uh, so that you can further identify what did the author mean by what they said when they said it. Okay, So these keys divide. Typically, they'll divide complete thoughts, right? or as we previously mentioned, pericopes. Okay? So the, you'll find them in between thoughts. There'll be transitions, uh, and, and you'll understand that a little more as we move forward. But why else? Why take the time to identify structural keys? Well, a, a few reasons, uh, and it's not an exhaustive list of why you should do it. But for instance, structural keys often identify emphasis. Okay, So think of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is five chapters, and it's often understood to be a chiastic structure. And we'll look a little bit more at this later. But it is in itself, the book, a particular structure, and it's purposed with emphasizing the structure. And this will make more sense as we look at chiastic structures. But basically, the book of Lamentation is structured in such a way that the middle chapter is emphasized, which is chapter 3, which deals with the hope of Israel. Uh, next, structural keys can point to uh, time helping the reader understand when things will or have happened. So I think of Revelation, the book of Revelation. I want to say it's Revelation 1.14. Uh, it's not Revelation 1.14. It is verse 19. Excuse me. Revelation 1.19. It says, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. So we understand, if you understand Revelation 1.19 as a key to understanding the book of Revelation, you understand that at the time of writing, uh, John is recording things in the past. Uh, those are the things which you have seen and the things which are in the present. And then you have the future things, the things which will take place after these things. Okay. And if you look at the book of Revelation, you can understand chapter one being those, the past, uh, the letters to the churches being the present. And then in, in uh, chapter four, it begins with after these things and it starts talking future tense. And so you understand that, that the whole book can be identified by this one statement. And that will allow you to, it kind of unlocks, if you will, uh, the concept of structural keys and what structures you can be looking for. 
Uh, next, structural keys can reveal purpose or vice versa. And we'll look more into this as we look at the Gospel of John later in this episode. Uh, but John, in his purpose statement, identifies a structure of the book, which can be obviously very helpful. So what is it? What are structural keys? Right. So structural keys, they can be grammatical. So looking for things like therefore, but, before, after, etc. These kind of transition terms. Uh, like if you look at uh, the book of Romans, okay, Romans 12, uh, there's a massive structural key at the beginning of, of Romans 12. Romans 1 through 11 is dealing with the metaphysical truths of the gospel and how they relate to Israel and Gentiles alike. Uh, and he gets through at the end of chapter 11 with this uh, incredible conclusion. Uh, it says in verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That by itself is a structural key. It shows the conclusion of something. But then you also get into Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, etc., etc. Okay? So he goes from this, this metaphysical truths that are being presented in the first 11 chapters of Romans, and then he makes this transition, which is identified by, one, uh, it, it's pretty obvious. He's making these, he, these truth claims, and then he starts saying, now this is what you're going to do. I urge you to do these things. But it's marked by the therefore, right? If you grew up in church, it's always, when you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for, okay? Uh, it's pointing to the things previous and concluding the things that are next. Okay, so you have, and then these keys, as we get into the grammatical and syntactical keys in the next step, we'll be dealing with what do they mean? Like, like the but is a contrastive. Obviously, before and after are temporal, dealing with time, uh, and is a connective. Okay, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that, uh, that we'll get into in the next section. But for now, you're just looking for things that, uh, they're transitions, okay? These structural keys are showing the, the structure of, of the passage. Next, structural keys are usually obvious change in thought. Okay, like I think of Romans uh, or Ephesians, okay? You get into Ephesians 4, uh, and there's the therefore again. Also, at the end of Ephesians 3, you get the same kind of conclusion. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Okay, so it's a clear transition. Obvious change in thought. You get it in Romans. Um, a change in dialogue also is, is, really, uh, is really an obvious change in thought because it's a different person thinking the thought that's being, that's being said. It's being stated. And so it's got to be a change in thought. It's not the same person thinking it, right? So a change in dialogue, you can see some structural uh, aspects of a passage based in the dialogue itself um, next structural keys can be questions again think of the book of Romans uh, I mean let's just go to uh, we'll go to Romans 3 uh, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the benefit of circumcision okay there's this thought now he's going to answer it great in every respect first of all that they were entrusted with the oracles of God verse 3 what then another question if some did not believe their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God will it Verse 4, may it never be. Rather, let God be found true. Though every man be found a liar, as it is written that you, will, you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Okay, and then he goes on, verse 5, another question, right? He's walking you through this logical conclusion. Uh, uh, so they can be questions. Structural keys can be repeated words or phrases. I think of James. He's, he's, when he uses the term brethren, uh, it's, a, it's a change of thought. It's a structural key. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, we'll look at that one because it's a, 
really concise one, but um, it says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Right? So he goes on and he states this. He's going he's gonna to ask these if questions all the way through uh, verse 19. And that's the structure. You follow the ifs. Okay? He's giving you a logical uh, order of things. Okay? So it's, it, the if is the structural key there. Uh, structural keys can also be locations. Uh, think of the book of Acts. Acts 1, um, 8? Yeah. So Acts 1, 8, uh, we're getting Jesus is speaking. We'll start in verse 7. He said, he said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed from his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even in the remotest part of the earth. So you can look at these geographic locations, and it actually, if you look at the book of Acts, it's divided based on those geographic locations. So it's providing you a key to see the structure of the book. Uh, structural keys can be a change in the object of address. Let's look at, uh, I've referenced here in my notes, Psalm 103. Uh, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. And he goes on through verse 5. Uh, explaining who the Lord is. Verse 6, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He's continuing to describe the Lord. Uh, he's continuing, he's continuing, and then he gets all the way down to verse 15, and now he changes his object of address. He says, as for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. So now he's describing man, then you get into verse 19, and he, he goes back and starts addressing the Lord. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. So we see this kind of change of address, or, or I'm sorry, the change in the object of address. So it's not that he's addressing Lord, then he's addressing man, like talking to them, uh, but it's, it's, it's a psalm to the Lord, but the object of the address changes from the Lord to man back to the Lord. So that can show kind of a structure of the book as well, And now in, in this per, particular instance of the psalm. And so structural keys can be, uh, can be a, a variety of things. And this this isn't even an exhaustive list, but it's those things in which you see an established structure within the book and also within your particular passage. Now let's look at some, we'll look at some more specific examples here. So if you look at the book of Genesis, the Hebrew word toledoth, uh, which is for, it translates the generations of or the account. So if you just look up in the book of Genesis, the word Toledoth, where it appears, it establishes a structure because it's giving the generations of or the account of particular things. For instance, we see in chapter 1, 1 to 2, 3, it's an introduction, which is it's an account of creation. Then you see the heavens and the earth in 2, 4 and 4, 20, through 4, 26. And then we see the Toledoth of Adam in 5, 1 to 6, 8, the Toledoth of Noah in 6, 9 to 9, 29, a Toledoth of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And 10, 1 to 11, 9, a Toledoth of Shem in 11, 10 to 26, a Toledoth of Terah from 11, 27 to 25, 11, Toledoth of Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. Okay, so I won't go through all the chapter divisions, but you get the idea that Toledoth, when you see that term, it provides an introduction to something new. It's a new structure. It's a new aspect of the book. Another way that uh, Genesis can be divided is by key events or persons. You see a structure of Genesis so you see a structure of creation in chapters 1 to 2. Then you see the, the account of the fall of man in chapter 3. Then you see the, the sons of 
Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel, and Seth in chapter 4. Then you get Noah and the flood in 5 to 10, Tower of Babel in 11, Abraham in 12 to 25, 11, Isaac from 25, 12 to 27, 46, Jacob from 28 to 36, Joseph from 37 to 50. So you can, you can take key events or persons and also see this division in some of these books. Genesis is a, a really clean cut one. So then we go to Habakkuk and we see a dialogue. So the, the, the Habakkuk is an easy one to do it because it's only three chapters. So if you go to Habakkuk and you look at the dialogue, you'll recognize that uh, it's broken up. Habakkuk speaks twice, God speaks twice, and then at the end, the last chapter is a chapter of praise. Okay, so we see Habakkuk speaking in chapters 1, 1 to 4, and then we see God responds in 1, 5 to 11, and then Habakkuk speaks again in 1, 12 to 2, 1, and then God speaks again in 2, 2 to 2, 20, and then we see in chapter 3, it's just a chapter of praise, uh, which some would say it, it points to the idea that chapter 3 is an emphasis, and one could make that argument, but nonetheless, you see the structure of the book. So and this is important because this will be a good example. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna take a a, a a portion of scripture and study it, right? You can't you can't take a whole book and deep dive the whole book at once, right? You're looking for pericopes, which is what we did in verifying text and translation. But these structural keys provide those pericopes. Again, why the recommended readings are pretty important because it gives you that that kind of foundational aspect. So when you get into these structural keys, you can. You can identify, okay, yes, the pericope is, is uh, um, couched between structural keys. And then what structural keys are within those that's going to help me understand the passage more, right? Kind of the example in 1 Corinthians with the if word, right? You're not going to study each if statement on its own. But within the pericope of that passage, you can follow those structural keys so you understand the argument of the author. And the same goes for the book of Romans. Some of those, the question is answered in a sentence. And then another question is asked. Well, you can study the pericope, which is a larger section of that, but the structural keys will allow you to understand the flow of argument within that pericope itself. Okay. So some of these some of these examples are like whole book structures, and some of them are going to be you know individual passage structures. But nonetheless, the structural keys are helpful. So now we move into Lamentations. Lamentations is it actually has two overall structures of the whole book. The book of Lamentations is both a chiastic structure and an acrostic. Okay, so a chiastic structure uh, is where you have, um, try, to, try to explain this easily. So let's say you have five sentences. Okay, the first sentence is parallel with the last sentence. And then the second sentence is paralleled with the fourth sentence. So they're, they are... Uh, it's like they're synonymous. It's almost a restatement of what was stated before. So the first sentence says the same thing as the last sentence, but it's worded differently. The second sentence says the same thing as the fourth sentence, but it's worded, you know, they're worded a little differently from each other. And then the third sentence is unique on its own. It, and and the, the point of the structure is that the, the third sentence, the one that's unique, that's not paralleled with any of the other sentences, that's the one that is emphasized. It's an emphasis. It's uh, it, it's the point that's being that's trying to be driven home. So, for instance, Lamentations, the first chapter is weeping for Israel. The fifth chapter is praying for mercy. The second chapter is judgment of Israel. The fourth chapter is judgment detailed. The third chapter is hope in God. So amongst this lament, Jeremiah's lament of, of the people, of God's people, 
he emphasizes in the middle of his lamentation, he emphasizes hope in God and God's faithfulness. It's a really powerful emphasis. And if you can catch it, it's really, really, really powerful. So Lamentations is also structured as an acrostic. Uh, an acrostic is where, in the original language, each line is, uh, it goes in order, in alphabetical order. Okay, so uh, it's easier to understand maybe if I tried to explain in English. Let's say you have, uh, uh, let's say you have five sentences. The first sentence starts with an A, the second sentence starts with a B, third sentence starts with a C, fourth sentence D, fifth sentence E. Okay, so that's kind of an acrostic. Uh, a, a really common example of this is Psalm 119, and most Bible translations actually show, uh, let me see, I'll pull it up, see if the NASB does it. Yeah, so at the heading of verses 1 through 8, it's the Aleph, which is the first letter in the uh, Hebrew alphabet, and each line within uh, the first eight verses of Psalm 119 in the original language, they all start with the letter Aleph. Then the next eight lines of Psalm 119 starts with Beit, which is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on and so forth. That's an acrostic. Lamentations is the same way, except the first four chapters are acrostics, but the last one is not an acrostic. And so one could argue that it also, while the chiastic structure of Lamentations emphasizes hope in God, the acrostic structure of it emphasizes praying for mercy. And so both of them, interestingly, place the emphasis on God. It places the hope that God gives his people, and it also emphasizes the mercy that is being requested by God's people of the Lord. So it's a very... Uh, it's a very interesting way of, of understanding Lamentations because Jeremiah so brilliantly is structuring his writing so that we recognize God's faithfulness and our hope in him and also our need and dependence on him and his mercy. So fascinating book. I love Lamentations because of the structure of it. Um, the next one is, is the book of John. And this is the one where we're looking at the purpose reveals a structure. So John's clear purpose statement is in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. So if we go to John 20, 30, uh, it says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So if I take the book of John and I divide it up by the signs, I see the first sign in chapter 2, I see the second sign in chapter 4. I see the third sign in chapter 5. Fourth and fifth signs are in chapter 6. Sixth sign is 9 through 10. Seventh sign is 11, 1 to 46. And then after all of these signs, we begin the hour in chapter 12 where he's now uh, going towards the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is the ultimate sign of Jesus. And he writes in the ultimate sign is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So it's all structured. The book is structured around the purpose. Uh, and that's, uh, and I say, I don't say this to uh, minimize the uh, amazingness, if I can make up a word of John's writing, but that's good writing, right? If you're, if you're purposing a, a certain thing to write and structure your writing around that purpose, this is wise. Um, I know it's kind of a cop-out because, you know, it's God's book, so obviously it's, it's pretty wise. But 
nonetheless, uh, the structure, if there's an obvious purpose statement, it can, it can help you understand the structure of the book. The other one that we already looked at, so I'll just kind of go through it pretty quickly, is the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, we see a geographical structure, uh, and we do see this within the book of Acts. Uh, in Jerusalem, which is in chapters 1 through 8, and to Judea and Samaria, which is chapters 8 through 9, and to the outermost parts of the earth, chapters 10 to 28. Now, there are some, I will, I will admit, there are some uh, kind of exceptions to that. I mean, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, is ministering in Jerusalem and things like that in the later parts of his, of his uh, record in the book of Acts. But the main thrust of those sections is towards Jerusalem only, and then they spread to Judea and Samaria, and then they spread further to the outermost parts of the earth. So it can help you kind of understand the structure of the book and the context for these chapters. Right? It helps you understand the point in ministry of some of these apostles. And then we get into the book of Romans. And Romans, as we've already hit on, so I'll just move through this one pretty quickly too, is divided in multiple ways. A major division is found in Romans 12.1, which 1 through 11 is the is category of the worldview chart. And then chapters 12 to 16 is really dealing with the ought. You have the truth, chapter 1 through 11, which is foundational for the 12 through 16, and it's divided, divided by that therefore statement. And then Throughout the book, you see minor divisions found in the form of questions, which we've already talked about as well. There's 68 questions in the book of Romans, so uh, there's quite a bit of division there. Structural keys are all over the place. So that's, the, that's really the basic understanding of identifying structural keys, and what it's going to do is allow you, again, to understand the flow of argumentation for a book uh, and the author's flow of thought so that you can try to understand why he's saying what he's saying and what is meant by what he's saying and where are the emphases what's the author trying to emphasize in particular areas so a bit of a shorter episode today i hope that's helpful though and uh it has proven to me uh, to be really eye-opening and and i appreciate the artistry of what these authors are writing uh, because it's just it's incredible when you start looking at the structure and, and the thinking behind some of these books and how they structure them. It's really, really fantastic. And it sets us up for grammatical and syntactical keys uh, for next week. I'm really excited about that episode. So I uh, hope you are, are uh, looking forward to joining me. A bit of an update as we work through. I, I was recognizing that working through Biblical Hermeneutics Applied, there's a lot of steps, and it's going to take a lot of weeks to get through it all. I'm trying to work through them fairly quickly uh, so that we can get through them and, and you can have a basic understanding of the interpretive method. But there may be a couple weeks where we get away from Biblical Hermeneutics Applied, so just be looking at that. I've got a couple interviews set up uh, for a couple episodes where we're looking at theological method and some uh, theoretical things behind the interpretive method. So I hope you look forward to that. I want to mix it up a little bit, but I've really enjoyed working through this process and I hope it's been an encouragement to you and you've enjoyed it thus far. I'd love your feedback. Go to johnoglesby.org, go to the contact page and uh, shoot me an email. But uh, until then, I hope it was encouraging and I will see you next Wednesday at 5 a.m. Have a blessed week. Thank you. We'll be right back.